I want to ask you this morning a very simple question. I'd be glad to answer. What are your favorite Christmas songs? You know, whether you're here in person or maybe you're online today uh, and you want to just write it down in the chat there, what are your favorite songs? You know, just go ahead and say them out loud. What are your favorite Christmas carols? <laughs> Oh, holy night. Okay. So, yeah. What else? Okay. Grandma got run over by a reindeer. Okay. I didn't expect that one, but thanks, Steve. Can always count on you to be deep. Yeah. The first Noel. I'll be home for Christmas. Okay. Just, there's hundreds of them, aren't there? I mean, I don't know how you could come to the end of those. Uh, does anyone, anyone want to sing a few bars this morning? <laughs> go ahead, Steve. They're saying, go ahead and start the song. There you go. <laughs> we all have Christmas carols we look forward to singing every year. And as much as we like these Christmas songs, I want you to know there are four Christmas songs in the Bible. Four Christmas songs in the Bible that hardly anyone sings anymore. They're all in the Gospel of Luke. Do you know who they are, what they are? Uh, well, the angels sang a song of praise, probably come up with that one, announcing Jesus' birth to the shepherds out on the hillside. Mary sang a song to God when she went to visit her cousin Elizabeth, who was the mother of John the Baptist. Simeon, a very old servant of God, sang praises to God when Joseph and Mary brought the baby Jesus into the temple to present him to the Lord. And then there's Zechariah. Zechariah's song comes right at the beginning of this event, Christmas. His was the first song in the darkness as the real Christmas story began to unfold. And so you may have read on the cover of our bulletin this morning, if you happen to do these things, or I think there are 2% of the people that maybe do that. It said this, the first song in the darkness was sung by an unlikely singer, Zechariah, a priest at the temple in Jerusalem. He sang God's praises after his wife, Elizabeth, gave birth to their son, John. Zechariah lived in a time when many people did not know God and when even the people of God had not heard his voice for a long time. Zechariah's song broke into the darkness with a message of hope and peace for all people of every generation. Well, to be sure, these four songs that we're going to discuss in this message series were not sung to music, except maybe the song of the angels. No, these songs were simply expressions of praise and worship by people who stood in awe, people who stood in wonder of the mighty works that God was doing through the birth of Jesus, God's Son. They were awestruck by God's activity and couldn't help themselves that they were going to worship Him for what they were watching and seeing, being part of. Several of these songs were later set to music. You may know that. The ancient church captured these words of Scripture, created songs known as canticles. Uh, most notable of these is Mary's song of praise, the Magnificat, which you may have heard of, still sung in formal church settings today. So this morning, let's begin our songs in the darkness with Zechariah's song of faith. This song in the darkness came at a very dark time the dark time just before Jesus came into the world. Centuries before, God's word had talked about this darkness through the prophet Isaiah. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the 
the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned, Isaiah 9.2. This word from God came out into the darkness as a promise, a promise that one day God would send a light. We know him as the light of the world, Jesus, a light that would appear and would shatter that darkness forever. Zechariah, Simeon, and Mary all knew how truly dark things were for everyone, even the people of God. The Jews had been living under Roman rule for about 60 years at this time. They were obviously you know, just a, a vassal state. You know, They had been conquered by them. They had to pay heavy taxes to this ruthless empire that ruled with an iron fist. Israel still had a king, kind of a figurehead, King Herod, but a king who had buddied up to the Romans to make things better for himself. He really was powerless to protect his people from the heavy hand of the Roman occupation. The Sanhedrin, uh, would they help the people? The Jewish leaders, the Jewish council of elders, well, they weren't helpful to the people either. Somehow, somewhere, they had lost touch with God, so the nation grew further and further away from God. As I said, it was a dark and dismal time. And all true believers were longing for God to show up, longing for God to do something, for God to move in deliverance. For he had promised them a Savior. He had promised them a Messiah. And they didn't know it. But Jesus, the Son of God, was about to come to earth right at the edge. Zechariah's song was a song of faith. It had to be. He had no one else to trust in but God himself. Still, Zechariah's faith did not come easily to him, apparently. He saw what he and his wife lacked so clearly and emphatically that he had somehow forgotten God's ability to provide for them. But Zechariah was about to learn firsthand that God always comes through at just the right time. In a very personal way, Zechariah learned that he could trust God to do that without fail. And God moved in the lives of Zechariah and Elizabeth in ways that were unexpected and, and even better than they anticipated or even hoped for, much like he does in ours sometimes. God had been virtually silent for almost 400 years. Then suddenly, the angel Gabriel was sent to earth and appeared to Zechariah and then to Mary and then to Joseph. Until then, still caught up in the darkness, Zechariah may have wondered where God was and whether God would still keep his promises to send a Messiah. Some people latch on to faith in God easily, but many do not. For even Christians, you know, we've been a Christian for a long time, perhaps. Faith in God may be difficult. It may be challenging. It may be hard to come by sometimes. You know, we can see what we see, but where is God in this? This year especially, a lot of people are asking themselves this question, where is God? With all the confusion and devastation of the COVID-19 pandemic, a lot of people have been wondering why God hasn't stepped in to help us, why God hasn't stopped this virus from spreading. And it may seem to them like he doesn't care, that it doesn't concern him, that so many people are suffering and dying. And perhaps that's where Zechariah was in his day. Where is God when you are faithfully serving him year after year, but he is not answering your prayers the way you think he should? Zechariah and Elizabeth were God-fearing servants who had lived as blamelessly as anyone, but they had remained childless their entire married life. And now they're old and still God had not shown up 
to satisfy this deep desire. So I want you to know something this morning. This is kind of ground level, groundwork, uh, foundational to what I want us to think about when we're thinking about songs in the darkness. That even when God seems far away, he is close at hand. You may not be able to see him, may not be able to touch him. But even when it seems he's far away, he's very near to us. And even when God seems to be doing nothing, he is working hard to help us. Even when you can't see it at the time. Remember that. Hold on to that. Because it is always true. Luke is the gospel writer who gets to tell Zechariah's story. And he does so in the opening verses of his gospel. So we're going to turn to Luke chapter 1. We're going to be reading a lot of scripture from there. Maybe you want to follow along in your own Bible. Maybe you can just watch on the screen. Either way is fine. So please follow along as I read, starting with verse 5, chapter 1. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear a son and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children, the disobedient to the wisdom and the, to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man. My wife is well along in years. That's a kind way of saying she's old too. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to, to you and, and to speak to you and to tell you and, not, and, and have good news. And now you'll be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. <laughs> Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. And when his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and has taken away my disgrace among the people. Wow. What an amazing set of promises God has given Zechariah and Elizabeth here. God is finally ready to send the Messiah, the Savior, into the world. And Zechariah's son would be a prophet like Elijah, preparing the people for his arrival. And so he says, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is, is uh, well, she's up in years also. 
Zechariah's song was a song of faith. Now, let me explain to you briefly what Zechariah's service in the temple looked like. This was a big deal for him. And Elizabeth, uh, perhaps in a a a once-in-a-lifetime experience, you know, these guys would go and serve at the temple. They'd be there uh, throughout their lives serving in various fashions. But at one time, an individual would be chosen. Look at these drawings of the temple with me, please. First of all, uh, you'll recognize this kind of a, a photograph of a model. This is huge area. goes way beyond it to either side. But this is in the picture is the temple grounds itself. Uh, there's all kinds of courtyards here. And then back at the back is just the small building, which was the actual temple. Now go to the second slide. And this is a floor plan of the entire thing. And you'll note several things. First of all, down here, all the way around it, and kind of brown, is the court of the Gentiles. That's where all of us would be if we're not Jewish. We'd never get inside any of these walls. We'd just be on the outside, kind of listening, hoping you know, for that day that we could be invited inside. And the right side, there's a court of the women, very large area. Uh, a lot of things are going on in there. You see different uh, corners there. And then as you go through into the next part, uh, you'll see... Uh, kind of a yellowish area, the court of Israel, it's called. That's where all the men could go. So there's a separation of the men and the women in this worship. The men could go just a little bit closer, but they still can't even get really into the temple itself. Then you go into a more white area outside the temple building that's called the court of the priests. The priests could gather in this point. There's an altar out in front where sacrifices would be going up continually there and so on. Uh, There's kind of an open area in the middle as you first go in, kind of an entry area. There's side rooms down the side. But right in the very middle is this this rectangle, and you'll see there the words most holy and the holy place. The holy place is the place where Zechariah got to go. He was invited in by Lot that day to go in and to burn incense before the Lord. Every day, Someone would go in, one priest would go into this holy place, and they would make sure the lamps are burning, that the altar of incense is supplied. The table of showbread is also in this room. This is a special bread that would be put there once a week by the priest who had that duty on the Sabbath day. It would be changed out. But then there was a curtain between the holy place and the most holy place, what we often call the holy of holies. And each day... A priest would go into the holy place, but only one day in the whole year would someone go into the most holy place, the holy of holies, and that had to be the high priest. Specially prepared, special day, called it the Day of Atonement, and he would go in there and appear before God. That was where the seat was. That was where the mercy seat was. That was where the the Ark of the Covenant was. And so, uh, clear back from the days of the tabernacle through to the temple, this was the same kind of format, same kind of setup. And this is a very, very holy place. The holy place and the most holy place. Now, of course, Zechariah got in on his day to the holy place and never expected to see an angel who was in there. And on top of that, Gabriel is an awesome, very intimidating angel, (laughs) Often when we see the angels appear in the scriptures, the people fall down, shaking, quaking, in fear before them, feel that they're going to die any moment. And this happens again. He's scared. And Gabriel has to say, don't be afraid. You know, I I know I'm awesome, (laughs) but uh, don't be afraid. This is God. I have a message for you from God, and it's good news. Your prayer has been heard. 
You and your wife will have a son, John, and he will grow up to be the forerunner of the Messiah, the Savior. You know, Zechariah couldn't believe his ears. He questioned Gabriel how this could possibly be. And so Gabriel told him, because he questioned, he would not be able to speak until the promise was fulfilled. When he finally came out of the temple, Zechariah couldn't speak to anyone. He could only make signs to everyone that, and say, yeah, I saw something. This is pretty amazing what I saw, but I can't tell you what it was. When he got home, he somehow shared this whole message with his wife, Elizabeth, and they were both obviously ecstatic. Soon, she became pregnant. She stayed in seclusion, the Bible says, for the next five months. It's kind of an odd thing for somebody maybe in her 60s or 70s to be pregnant, and uh, people were not usually, you know, out like we do today, and, and uh, everything's out there and, you know, shown to everybody. Back then, she stayed in seclusion, and I think she kept saying to herself and anybody else that might have visited her, the Lord has done this for me. It was the Lord that did this. God has shown his favor to me and has taken away my disgrace. Because in her day, if you could not have a child, it was a disgraceful thing. Sad, sad reality of their society. But that disgrace was gone. Let's skip down a long way now, all the way down to verse 57. You may have a little title there. It says, The Birth of John the Baptist. Now, in between these verses... Gabriel appears to Mary, tells her all that's going to happen with her, and we're going to look at that next week. But for right now, let's skip down to verse 7, 57. And when it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. Oh, that's, that's an understatement. They were all so excited. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. They said to her, there's no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. I thought that was interesting. They made signs to him. You know, he could hear. He just couldn't speak it. So, okay. He asked for a writing tablet. And to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately, his mouth was opened and his tongue set free. And he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. Zechariah was still unable to speak until after the birth of his son. In fact, for eight days after John's born, maybe he thought, you know, he's born, now I can talk. No, eight days more, and they go to the temple. They go back to the place where Gabriel had first appeared to him, and they're now going to name John. They're going to officially dedicate him to the Lord, and there he finds his voice once again. Elizabeth and Zechariah had taken their son to the temple to name him, circumcise him, but it was Elizabeth is the only one that could speak she insisted his name be John, even though others said, you don't have anybody by that name in your family. And so they turn to Zechariah, who writes down on a tablet, his name is John. It's emphatic. His name is John. And immediately he could speak again once he had fulfilled what the angel had said. Immediately broke into a song of praise, which we're about ready to read. And as I read Zechariah's song of praise, Zechariah's song of faith, I want you to do something. I want you to notice, especially in the first part, the tense of his words. Is it past, present, 
or future tense. God was fulfilling his plan to save the world. And Zechariah uses the past tense. Past tense. Because in his mind, it is a done deal. If God said it, if God is doing it, it is a done deal, even before it has happened. Just like Isaiah said, the virgin has had a child 700 years before the virgin had her child. Let's go to verse 67, Luke 1. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant. The oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. And then Luke comments, and the child grew and became strong in spirit. And he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. Zechariah and Elizabeth had lived and served God faithfully their entire lives. But they needed to know that God had not abandoned them. Perhaps you've served God your entire life. And now you need to know that God has not abandoned him. It's a dark hour. It is a difficult hour. Has God abandoned us? And when God showed up and he did what he did in their lives, their song of doubt became a song of faith about the wonderful things that God was doing. The world was still as dark a place as it had ever been, but Zechariah had been given a glimpse, a vision of what God was doing and a role that he could play in God's story, God's salvation story. And what about us? Is our song a song of doubt? Or a song of faith? Is your life a life of doubt or a life of faith? What song are we singing today in this dark world? Are we singing a song of faith? Is our hope truly in God and God alone? Are we helping other people see what God is doing in this dark world even now? See, that's our role. That's our job. That's the privilege we have. To sing a song of faith into a dark world today. C.H. Spurgeon speaking on this passage over a hundred years ago. Included in this very lengthy sermon. These words. Christian, when you're in trouble, sing. You don't know who is near you. So sing. Perhaps there will be many hearts cheered by your song. There is some broken spirit, it may be, that will be lifted up by your song. So sing. I tell you, we may preach 50,000 sermons to prove the gospel, but we will not prove it half as well as you will by singing in the night, he said. Keep a cheerful disposition. Keep a happy heart. Keep a contented spirit. Keep your eyes looking up and your heart aloft. 
And you will prove Christianity better than all the wise men who ever lived. Good words. Anyone can sing in the daytime when the sun is bright and good things are happening. But only God gives us songs in the night. Only God can bring something really good to the nighttime of our lives. And as the people of God who believe that, who know that, or are convinced of that, we need to sing our song of faith into the darkness so that others can see what God is doing. And he can do it in their lives also. I read about six people that found themselves trapped in a dark, cold cave. They each had a stick of wood in their hand, but the fire in the middle of the cave was starting to go out. The first woman refused to put her wood in the fire because there was someone that she didn't like in that circle. The next man held on to his stick of wood because there was someone who did not belong to his church in that circle. The third man was a poor man and said, why should I give my stick to warm that rich guy? And the next man was rich and said, why should I sacrifice my stick to warm that lazy poor guy? The next man was just simply greedy, and he said, I'll save my stick of wood for tomorrow night to warm myself. And that night, they all died. However, they didn't die from the cold in the cave. They died from the cold in their hearts. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you that you hear our voice, you hear our prayers even when it seems like they just drifted off into the darkness, maybe bounced off the ceiling, whatever we may feel at a time when we are down, when we're discouraged, and we don't hear your voice. But Lord, you, even in the silence, are still there. And even when it seems that you're doing nothing, you are still working, and you are still coming in to save us, to help us. And we thank you for that. And we thank you that we who believe, we who have surrendered our lives to Jesus, we who have committed to be his servants, his disciples, his followers, his missionaries, can sing a song into the darkness, even today, even now. Help us to do that. Help us to sing a song of faith and hope and peace out to this world all around us. When so many are desperate to know you. When so many are asking, where is God at a time like this? Help us to sing with joy for you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're so excited for the band to be able to share a new song with us today. I think you're going to love it. I uh, hope you do because we're going to sing it every week for the next six weeks.